Well, good morning, church family. My name is Andrew, one of the pastors here. And to morning, this morning, to morning, this morning, can you tell I haven't talked with people for quite a while? Um, I am socially awkward like many of you, thanks to isolation. Uh, this morning, we're talking about love. The ancient Greek philosophers like Socrates and Plato, they believed that love was madness because it causes you to act against all rationality. Love causes you to be irrational. Einstein said, you can't blame gravity for falling in love. In the 1960s, the Beatles sang, all you need is love. And in 2016, at his Tony Awards acceptance speech, Lin-Manuel Miranda, the author of the awe-inspiring musical Hamilton, started a movement with his speech in which he closed it saying, love is love is love is love is love. Everybody has an opinion about love, don't they? Well, today, as we consider the fourth word of Advent, love, our major concern is what is God's opinion about love? What does God have to say about love? We're going to find different definitions and different examples and different, different angles on love all over in our culture. And it's important for us as Christians, we get our truth from God and his word. And so this morning, we're going to see what God has to say about love. The Bible Project did a great job of already defining agape love for us, and we're going to dive into that this morning. As we do, I'm going to ask you to stand as I read 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. And so if you're at home in your PJs, if you're at your dining room table, if you're still in bed, I'm going to ask you to find a Bible. Get a Bible, pull it up online, or get your paper Bible out, open up to 1 John chapter 4, and then stand out of respect for God's word as I read 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. Those of you, the few of you in our building as well, go ahead and stand as I read this text. 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected in, in us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is also, we are in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. You may have a seat. God, would you open up our eyes to understand your love, to experience your love, and to give your love 
this day in your precious, holy, sufficient, and love-soaked name we pray. Amen. Well, the Bible Project did a good job of unpacking for us the, the definition of agape love. In order to understand this text, so I want to give you a little bit of this idea of kind of the, the culture in which John wrote, in which Jesus lived. They lived in a, a culture dominated by Greek thought. And in Greek thought, in Greek, um, in the Greek culture, there were four understandings of love, four words. Storge, which is familial love. It's primarily from parent to child and child to parent. It's like the need that a child has for a parent. Think about a newborn, the, the necessity, the need that that child has for its mother to be fed, to be clothed, to be cared for, the, the need that a child has for its father. And then the love that a parent has for its kids. There's this, I'm a parent of three, and it's amazing just this unconditional family love that is in you for your children. That's one understanding of love in this culture of which the Bible's written. The other one is philia, which is like brotherly or sisterly or friendship love. It can be love between brother and sister, although that kind of connects to storge, the family love as well. But brotherly, sisterly friendship love, it's, it's finding commonality with somebody and sharing your life with somebody in such a way that you're friends, that you want to be around each other, that you long to be in each other's presence, that you long to spend time together. It's actually where the name Philadelphia in, in Pennsylvania, the city Philadelphia, gets its, its name from Philadelphia, this brotherly love. That's why they call it the, the city of brotherly love. Eros is another type of love. It means romantic love. It's the love between a spouse. It's the love between people who want to be spouses. It's a love that's moving in that direction. And then agape, as the Bible Project video already unpacked, it's an act of, God, of goodwill towards another. See, agape love is actually an act of will. It's not just something that you feel. It's something that you do. It's, it's goodwill towards another person. You have, to, you have to will it up. There's something that is produced in you where you say, I'm not, I, it doesn't matter how I feel about this person. I'm going to do good for this person. Agape love is not sentimental. It's sacrificial. It's God's action towards his creation. Agape love is always tied to action, tied to goodwill towards others, regardless of how you feel about them. These other loves involve some feeling. Um, agape love, it can involve feeling, but ultimately it, it's found in action. As the great band DC Talk said, love is a verb. Some of you know that reference. Some of you have no clue what I'm talking about. That's all right. Uh, if you want to learn more about this and study more about this, I encourage you to check out the book from C.S. Lewis, The Four Loves. He unpacks these four types of loves in that book. Um, a phenomenal book to grow in your understanding and application of love. And so this morning, with that understanding in place, what I want to do is look at four truths about love from 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21, which we just read, I want to look at four truths about love in this text. The first one is that God is love. Our culture right now says love is love, which is kind of a, a vague definition. It's hard to understand. How do you define one word by using that same word? What does love is love means? Especially when there's different understandings of love and different applications of love. What is love? This text teaches us the foundational truth that God is love. Look at verses 7 through 12. This is the entire emphasis of this passage. Beloved, let us love one another. So there's an emphasis there of loving one another. We're going to talk about the next. But look at the second part of verse 7. For love is from God. 
Love is from God. Look at verse 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Verse 16. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. John the Apostle, who walked with Jesus, who experienced the love of God through the person of Jesus Christ, defines God as love. The only reason that we have any understanding or example or observation of agape love, love in action, love as a verb, others-focused love, sacrificial love rather than sentimental love, is because God is love. Without God, we don't know love. The same way that the sun is the source of light, Think about this. The sun is the source of light. With all things, even in, the, even in the darkness, when we can turn on a light, that's because energy comes from the sun. There is no life and there is no light without the sun in our solar system. The same way that the sun is the source of light to all of mankind, God is the source of love. We don't know love without God. It flows from him. John here tells us that God is love. And so as you desire love. We all desire love, right? That's why, that's why these ancient Greek philosophers had an opinion about love. That's why pretty much every song that makes it into the top 10, regardless of your genre of music, is usually about love, failed love, broken love, good love, desired love. It's all about love. Humankind is hardwired to receive and to give love And the reality is we don't know love without God. God is love. He's the very definition of love. He's the example of love. Look at verse 9 and 10. It teaches us that in this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That's what we remember at Christmas. That's why one of the Advent candles is love. Because love came down at Christmas. Love is, is shown to us in God walking among us. John 3.16, one of the most quoted and well-known verses in all of Scripture, whether you're a Christian or not, it is, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. Agape, it's action, it's sacrifice, it's not sentiment. God gave. And so at Christmas, we remember God entering our world in the person of Jesus Christ. In this, verse 9, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us as people talked with Jesus, as people observed Jesus, as people were healed by Jesus, as people listened to Jesus' teaching and observed his life, they saw love because God is love and Jesus is God and Jesus is God's love made manifest among us. John, the author of this letter, walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus. He tasted and saw that the Lord was good, that God is love. It says, in this is the love of God, that his love was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. God is love, propitiation for our sins, that's action. Propitiation means punishment or, or appeasement of God's wrath. So some people balk at this, trying to figure out how, how can God have wrath? How could God punish? Well, wrath, simply defined, is steady opposition to what's wrong. Because God loves his creation, he has a steady opposition to what breaks and hurts and damages his creation. God has wrath towards sin. He has steady opposition towards sin. Makes sense, right? 
any loving parent, any loving spouse, any loving friend will have wrath towards those that they love, steady opposition towards things that hurt the, the object of their affection, the object of their love. So God has wrath towards sin because wrath ter- because sin tears us apart. God has steady opposition towards that. And in his love for us, he took action. He sent his one and only son, Jesus, to be the propitiation, to be the appeasement of his steady opposition towards sin, to deal with his opposition towards sin. All right, so that's the first truth about love. God is love. If we don't work to understand that, we're never going to really grasp what love is. And this is why there's so many different definitions and different examples of love in the world, because generally speaking, the world doesn't know God, and God is love. Even Christians, we forget. How do we define love? It's defined by God. We want to understand love. We look more and more at God. We look at his son, Jesus. How did he live? What did he say? What did he do? Second truth in this passage, God is love, and you are loved. You are loved. I'm going to say it again. You are loved. The world's efforts are to receive love. So much of our life is a toil to be loved or to gain other people's love and affection, or, or, or to try and find security in being loved, whether that's through a spouse, whether that's through a friend, whether that's through a boss. Whatever it is, we pursue and search after love. And this text is telling us God is love, and in God you are loved. Look at verse 7. It starts out, beloved. That's the application of agape. By the way, in this passage, verses 7 through 21 29 uses of agape love. In these verses alone, John uses agape or some form of agape, a noun, a verb, 29 times. And the beginning of verse 7 is a use of agape. Beloved, it means the object of God's love, the object of agape. You have received agape. God's love towards you is sacrificial. And so if you're in Jesus Christ, You are the beloved one of God. You are loved. Don't let that float past you. Let that sink in. Let Christmas be a reminder that God loved you so much that he sent his one and only son, as verse 10 tells us. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. You are loved. Not based off of what you do for God, but off of what God did for you, off of who Jesus is and how he lived his life and how God broke into your world, into your sin, into your dysfunction, into your unloveliness. God sees it all. He knows your thoughts. He knows your intentions. He knows your actions. He knows your failures. He knows your joys. And in that, in this sin-filled world, in your sin-sick heart, God broke in because he loved you, not because you loved him. Not because you did your devotions. Not because you religiously attended church. Not because you stayed away from the bad and tried to do the good. Not because you outweighed your bad deeds with good deeds. No, that's not what the text says. It says, in this is love. Verse 10. Not that we have loved God. But that he loved us. Church family. You need to know that you are loved. 
holding on to that cluth and truth and clinging to that truth will set you free some, from so much anxiety and toil in your life. You are loved by God. Look at verse 13. It says, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. Verse 15 and 16, whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have now come to know and to believe that the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. You are love. God is love. God is in you. Therefore, you are loved. You are filled with God's love, and you are loved by God. Look at verse 19. We love because he first loved us. If we have any chance of agape loving other people, it's because God agape loved you. Don't forget this, church. Next time you're caught in a pattern of sin, don't fight that sin by thinking God's disappointed, God's disappointed, God's disappointed. Shame on me, shame on me, shame on me. That's what most of us religious people do. Here's how you fight that sin. God loves me, God loves me, God loves me. He doesn't love me because of me overcoming my sin. He doesn't love me because of my ability to clean myself up. He doesn't love me because of my ability to do everything right. No, verse 10 says, in this is love. Not that I have loved God, but that he loved me. And I see this in Christmas, that he sent his son to live my life, to die my death. I am loved. Don't forget this, church family. So much of our toil and angst in life comes from trying to earn God's love when we already have God's love. Now notice, there is this condition here. Verse 15 says, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God. So God loves the world, right? For God so loved the world, John 3, 16, that he gave his one and only Son. God loves all of his creation, all of mankind, but the, the only people who receive his agape love are those who confess Jesus as Lord. Verse 15 tells us that whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, so, so there is a step of obedience, there is a step of response, confessing that Jesus is Lord, but God doesn't love you based off of what you do with your confession or what you do pre-confession. It's not like you, so many people think, well, I gotta clean myself up before I can come to God. I'm so filled and riddled with sin I've been such a God-hater. I've lived my life so, so um, contrary to God's word that I need to clean myself up and then maybe God will accept me. Wrong. God doesn't love you because of your action towards him. God loves you because of his action towards you. And so as you receive that gift, as you confess Jesus is Lord, you enter his world of love. You become his adopted son or daughter. You are loved. Third truth about love in this text you will love. So God is love. In him, if you confessed him as Christ, you are loved. And if that's true, you will love. That, that's what John here is saying, that if God abides in you and God is love, you will love others. You will learn to love. Look at verse 7. Beloved, remember, you are loved. Let us love one another. Pretty straightforward, right? Christians are agape people. They're people who love others, not based on what they do, not based on our alignment in any type of ideology or idea, 
Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Pretty straightforward. If your life is more marked by hate than love, you may not know God. Now, it takes time to grow up, right? I mean, God doesn't love us because of how well we love others, right? That's what the text says, verse 10, and this is love, not that we have loved God, but, but that he loved us. And so there's this transformation that has to take place as we understand that God is love, as we begin to grow in our identity as sons and daughters of God, that he loves me, he loves me, he loves me. As you grow in that, you will grow in your love for others. It's just natural. It has to happen. This is the natural byproduct of God's love. If God is love, as verse 8 and 16 teach us, and if God abides in you, as verse 13 teaches, then you will love others. It's impossible not to. And if you don't, I would encourage you to start looking at how loved you are by God, and that may, may transform your ability and willingness and desire to love others. You will love. It's a command. I mean, in this text, we're commanded to love others, to, to give agape love, sacrificial love, not just sentimental love to others. As the Bible Project video said, like the definition of us loving those who, who we don't necessarily like, that is a unique Christian thing. It ought to be. The world ought to be looking at the Christians and the, and the church and saying, they love everybody who they disagree with. It doesn't matter. They're not biased at all. People across the political aisle, people across any aisle, people with different ideas about masks and coronavirus and systemic racism and whatever, fill in your buzzword in this season. Christians' reputation ought to be they unbiasedly love others. Their love is sacrificial, not sentimental. They, they don't only have philea, brotherly and sisterly love. We have that. We love our brothers and sisters in Christ. They don't only have family love. They don't just reserve their, their, their love for their family. They don't only have romantic love. They're not always putting their, their, their spouse or their sexual pursuits above others. They have sacrificial love for people who aren't like them, who don't think like them, who don't value what they value. This is what this text is teaching us, that as we understand how deeply and sacrificially God has loved us, we will begin to deeply and sacrificially love others. Look at verse 19 through 21. It says, we love because he first loved us. And so if you're struggling to love others, continue to remember God has loved you. God has loved you. He has shown his love for you in action. I believe that will transform your action towards others. Verse 20. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. You just sit with that for a while. Part of the reason that I love preaching is because I have to sit with this for a while. I can't tell you how convicted I've been week in and week out this past year. Let the word of God convict you. Don't get defensive. Don't look at all the ways that you love others. Allow this passage to really convict you and confront you. Is there a way that I'm hating my brother or sister? Is there a way that I'm hating my enemy? If anyone, verse 20, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. 
For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. And so there's a command here to love. God is love. And look at these truths. Look at this progression. God is love. You are loved. You will love. If you understand that God is love, if you've been transformed by receiving his love, you will love others. There's a command, go do it. Put your love into action. But also it's this natural outworking of being transformed. Because I'm a pastor, I preach. There's no other option. Because I love pizza, I eat it. Because I love my wife, I do loving things for my wife. Because I love my kids, even though I don't always feel, and I don't always do it, I don't always feel like getting down on the floor and wrestling with them. My son just got a laser tag thing for Christmas, and he wants to play laser tag 100% of the time. Judah, if you're watching it, I'll play it with you like 10% of the time. I love you enough, buddy, to play laser tag with you, but I can't give all of my time to it. But see, see this natural progression? If I love my kids, I will do things with them that they want to do, regardless of whether or not it's my first choice. That's how love works. Love acts. In the words of Bob Goff, love does. Love is an action. You will love. If you understand that God is love, if you've received his love, and and you meditate on that truth that you are loved, your love will be put out into action. And then fourth, you are free from the fear of not being loved. Oh, church, this is so important. So much of the anxiety and the fear and the toil in our life is the fear of not being loved. Not, not being loved by others, yes, but ultimately this low-grade fear of being rejected by God. Maybe you're not a Christian, you're watching this. Being rejected by, by a higher power, not knowing what's going to happen when you die. There is so much fear of death in our world. And this passage is telling us that God is love, we are loved, we will love, and if we understand that and we, if we live into God's love, You are free from the fear of not being loved. Look at verse 16 through 18. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. There is a day of judgment coming. All people will be judged. And we're told here that if we're in God's love, we have confidence for that day. Because as he is, so also are we in the world. Verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. See, this brings it back to this idea of propitiation in verse 10. That God so loved us that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to be the propitiation of our sin. To to settle his wrath against our sin. You and I, if we're in Christ Jesus, we're now right with God. We're settled with God. God has settled our sin. He has placed it upon Jesus, his son, and he has dealt with it. The propitiation, God's wrath against our sin, his settled opposition against our wrong, against our transgressions, against our lying, our deceiving, our our manipulating others, against our dysfunctional relationship, our self-seeking ways, our idolatry. God settled opposition to that. You know that there's things in you that ought to be opposed. 
And God is opposed to those things because they wreak havoc in your relationships and in your own mental health and your own spiritual health and your own life. We're riddled with things that cause dysfunction. And then God breaks into our world. He breaks into our dysfunction. He loves us, not because we first loved him, but because he loved us. And then he deals with our guilt, our shame, with our wrong, with God's settled opposition to everything about us that's broken and wrong. Jesus has dealt with. And so you can stand before God the Father on Judgment Day without any fear of condemnation, without any fear of being cast away. You can live your life here and now without any fear of facing God, the good, holy judge who hates sin and can only dwell in righteousness because you have been loved by God. Because you have confessed his son Jesus as Lord and you have no fear. That's what this passage is telling us. You are free from the fear of not being loved. It doesn't matter what happens to you in this lifetime. Some of you have experienced just the the gut-wrenching realities of wedding vows being ripped apart. You thought you were safe in your marital love. Some of you have have dealt with friendships, friends turning their back on you. You you thought you had a loving friendship, a a phileo with another brother or sister in Christ. Now you're dealing with the the effects of, am I loved? Some of you have been rejected time and time and time again. Some of you feel unlovely and unlovable. It doesn't matter. now, Now, in the church and in God's grace he desires us to experience love here and now through, through relationships. He desires us to experience all the forms of love, the four types of love. But the hope for the Christian is that regardless of what happens to me here and now in this lifetime, I will stand before God, the Father, and I need to have no fear that he will say you're unloved. If you are in Christ, God will never look at you at your lowest, despite what you've done, despite what you think about yourself, in spite of what others think about you, in spite of how unlovely or unlovable you feel. If you're in Jesus Christ, God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the source of love, the one who knows love perfectly, he will never look at you and say, you're unlovely, you're unlovable, out of my presence. Perfect love casts out fear. You have no reason to fear, Christian, because God is for you. He is in you. He's abiding in you, and he's working his love out through you. So this morning, I just want to close by looking at love in action. What does love look like lived out? It's, it's good to understand love. God is love. You are loved. Cling to that. Hold on to that. As you do, you will begin to love others and you'll grow in your security of your salvation, the security of your relationship with God. There will be no divorce. There will be no separation. Romans chapter 8 says, what can separate us from the love of God? Nothing. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Nothing. You can live your life without fear of being separated from God. And so now, just on a practical level, what does it look like for us to agape love others? 
okay, I understand that, Pastor. I understand this theological truth about love, but now what does it look like for me to love others? Give me something practical. I want to I love my spouse better. I want to love my kids better. I want to love my neighbors better. I want to love my coworkers better. I want to love those in my church family better. What does that look like? Flip to 1 Corinthians 13 to see. You've probably heard this passage more at a wedding ceremony than you have in the church, but it's meant for the church. And it flows from the church into the wedding, into the marriage. 1 Corinthians 13, here's what love, agape, it's the word used in here, agape, here's what it looks like lived out. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for showing us God's love, for being an example of his love to us. Ultimately, we thank you, God, for loving us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, not because we loved you, but because you first loved us. So God, I pray that you would Fill us with your love. Overwhelm us with your love. Shower us with your love. And then may we extend your love out to others for your glory, for our good, and the advancement of your gospel, we pray. In Jesus' name.